Good morning, church. Uh, you know, the, one of the things that is so wonderful about being nomadic as a church for 23 years was we have an understanding what the church is. The church is not a building. I mean, our culture calls it that. And we're going to learn about that here today. But this congregation gets it. It's the people. And uh, I'm just so thankful. Um, I just love how the Spirit works. If it was for no one else, it was for me, uh, Emmanuel. But choosing that first song, you know, I always get reflective at around the anniversary services here. And I went back through some old files. And you know what? I, I almost did this today. I should have maybe. But um, sometimes I just love to sit on a stool and tell you stories. Because I found stories that were written there and made notes on that... I look back and I just shake my head at what God's done. It's really incredible. One of the very, very low times for me personally, where I began to doubt myself and my leadership and thinking everyone in the church was doing the same thing. 2016, we were at assembly, I believe, out in Alberta. And I was in, uh, in that evening session. And I said, God, I just need some encouragement tonight. And the worship leader got up and started to sing that song. And the Holy Spirit, Dean, as I mentioned, you needed a new song? I'll tell you, I was in there and I was listening and they were singing. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. And I lost it in that crowd. The power of music sometimes where you are. And I... I just left that, con that conference with greater uh, encouragement in my soul. Yeah, there's been a lot of things over the last 24 years that have been amazing. Uh, there's things where we haven't got it right. We paid the price for that. But it's part of the journey. I think about this, including the babies. We had 175 or 179 people. And this property came back up that we had had to walk away from before because in the height of the Oak Ridges Moraine stuff, they said no. But God miraculously, through old Mr. Billinger here, one of two properties from Orangeville to Pickering was grandfathered back into the pre-Moraine stuff. And that was an act of God. And we came back, and so 175 of us met on this grass out here. It, well, not as well as 80, 80 members. It was a membership meeting, but and we we took a vote, and 100% said yes. Now 178 of us, and 179 of us, including the babies, how are we going to come up with three million bucks? <laughs> Those are details for God. So we, had some, we have some very smart people in the church. They got some heads together, and we said, well, what are we going to do? Um, Dave was reflecting on this the other day, and, and he was saying, well, initially some ideas were, hey, let's have a bake sale. <laughs> <laughs> Just do the math. And so I talked to my father. I said, Dad, you know, I've heard about these, you know, Christian organizations that come in and help you fundraise and all that. And I said, it just feels so wrong in the church. 
And he goes, Jerry, I know. He was a DS for 26 years. And he said, uh, you know, I don't like them, but in my 26 years, every church that used them, every church raised significantly more money than the other churches that didn't. So our team made a decision to go for it. The consultants came here and they looked around, looked at our banking and all that. said, the most you'll ever raise on a good day is $600,000. Okay, so we went ahead with this campaign and almost 1.2 million was pledged by this congregation. Yeah. And then uh, Mr. Brillinger said, listen, I'll do a million dollar take back mortgage, first mortgage. So then a group of three people in the church decided to put in a significant amount of money, got an external trustee, made sure the church handled that well. And then I went out to assembly again, and uh, this was earlier, and I'm in the Westin at Edmonton, and a guy yells across the foyer of the hotel, hey, Ghoul! And so I, and I go, here's the Western Canadian District Development guy. And he goes, I hear you need cash. <laughs> Can you talk to me? He said, we have a lady. She's, uh, she loves churches and loves evangelism. She says, there's lots of people who give great money, in it, and it's great and worthy causes for feeding the hungry and doing all kinds. Her particular passion is churches that are making a difference in the lives of people. And so he goes, how much do you need? I said, we need 300000 So anyway, a day later, I walked out of there and said, you got it. And God was good. So God, God did these things that there's no way in the world such a small group of us should be able to pay almost that kind of money. But with God, he has a way. What did he say? Where there is no way, he'll open way, right? And so that's the way God is. And anyways, I, I, I'm going to back off that. But just to say that uh, we've seen God's faithfulness, you know, personally and as a church so many times. And, uh, and God has blessed our church with such a phenomenal people, like really. And uh, I'm just so grateful for, for the people, for you. And I got to say this, I love you as a congregation. I sit in ordination interviews and I ask young preachers coming out, oh, I love to preach, I love to preach. I said, do you love the people you're preaching to? takes them back. So, uh, church, let's love each other and trust God. Regardless of what mountains are in front of us, he's always taken us through. Every time. And here we are. So, I look forward to the, this coming year. You should know that uh, there's been a group of people made up some from the congregation and the elders board are working through uh, and some, uh, uh, some staff and beginning a process we've been already beginning about seeking the Lord's face for some bit of a strategy for the next uh, run of Summit's life. And so we just encourage you, would you please pray for that process? And uh, we're hoping to have that strategic plan sort of uh, before us by the end of December so we can make it a part of the month of prayer and fasting and launch forward as we go. So God is uh, so good. Well, why value the church? <clears throat> we live in a culture in a day and age where a lot of people don't value the church. Some of it's our own doing. 
The church has many black eyes in its history. <clears throat> it seems like in these days, there's an awful lot of exposure of what's happened in some high, very high-profile pastors in, in, our, in our region and around the world, frankly. And um, the church has fallen on hard times. Uh, it has lost its real voice in many ways in our culture. And uh, uh, it's just a real challenge, obviously. We have the highest fasting, fastest growing people group religiously are what they call the religious nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S. They have no religious affiliation. They just, they're spiritual people, but they have no, they just have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And um, so the church has fallen on hard times in many ways. But <clears throat> sometimes, I'm just gonna say, sometimes it's internally as a church. And one of the big things that I've watched over the last uh, 10 years is people saying, it's me and Jesus, I'm okay with Jesus, I don't need the church. And I just want to address that a little bit. Sorry, I I did a funeral and a wedding yesterday, and uh, just sort of, it's just a little frog in my throat from that stuff. Um, It's true, we can and must trust in Jesus Christ and receive a relationship from him. However, we, you and I are amiss if we think that the only way to connect with Jesus is between me and him by ourselves. We also need the grace of Jesus that he offers only through his church. But I want us to get clear on what is the church. Some of you, you understand this, but it's good for us all to really nail it back down. What is the church? What do we mean when we say church? Obviously, we mean it's not the building. We've talked about that before already. The building is a home or the gathering place where the church comes and worships God, receives instruction, fellowships together, and with our pooled efforts, have influence in the region for Christ and his cause. First, you need to understand that there is a thing what theologians call the universal invisible church. And what is that? It is made up, Jesus is the head, it is made up of every single person who has trusted Christ, asked him to come into their lives and follow him. From all time, every Christian, both dead and living, I mean, they're living but not here on earth. It's the universal church, believers who by faith have trusted him and been regenerated from all time in every place. And what we see here, Romans chapter 12, verse 5, talks about this, that in Christ, though many, form one body, and each belongs to all the others. 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ, and every one of you is a part of it. So there's a sense that when we trust Christ, we're baptized into this large, both visible and invisible group called the body of Christ. Some are in the heavenly realm right now, others are on earth. But the church invisible in particular, we're members of that. And I hear this often, I'm already a member of the body of Christ. I don't need to become a member of a local church. And so we have this kind of tension between the two things, and they're very different things. He's talking now, I want to shift to just this one. What is the church? It's also the local visible church the local visible church. 
That is, people of God who by faith in Christ have been regenerated and dwelt by the Spirit and from a particular time and at a specific place. The Greek word talking about the church in the New Testament is uh, ekklesia. It means <clears throat> a, an assembly. And the church grabbed onto that word. It wasn't initially a church word. It, ekklesia was a, just an assembly, a group, a gathering. And they took a hold of that, <clears throat> and it means the gathering of the called out ones, the community of those who are in Christ, and the idea that community is rooted in the life of Jesus and the life of the Father and the life of the Son. We are incorporated into this, this life. But what makes the local church different is this life connection with Jesus Christ. This makes us different from every other human community that we share or that we see in our world. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he unites us in all of our diversity. Now, many Christians, <clears throat> Christians in the West have been thoroughly influenced by individualism and things that came in the Enlightenment period. <clears throat> and so the doctrine of the church and the place of the church and salvation in the world has almost been entirely lost. <clears throat> They've grown up with the belief that Christianity is about me and Jesus, and they don't need it. Now, sometimes we understand their thinking, but I, want, I need to say this with absolute clarity, and I would absolutely stand on the Scriptures to, to say this to any person. The New Testament knows nothing about solitary Christianity. It knows nothing about that. It was never its intention it was, you come to Christ, you come into a community. We talk about some of these verses, how that in Christ now we are part of a bigger body. By very nature, the church means being in Christ. Thank you, Connie. Bless you. By very nature, it means being a part of a body. That's what the, the church is all about. The very nature of New Testament Christianity, in fact, it's an oxymoron to the apostles and to the early church to think about being a Christian and not being a part of a local church. Now, what's the proof text that everyone says? I don't need the church. Does anyone know? The thief on the cross. Well, if we all want to get crucified, I guess we don't, right? But the fact of the matter is, they take these exceptions and make them proof texts for why we actually don't need. And never in the Scripture in the New Testament is there Christianity apart from being, it is communal in nature. Being in Christ is being in community in a local sense. Many authors have talked about, as I read this week, said that, that actually the universal church doesn't make sense without the local expression of the local church. It's, anyway, I'm not losing everybody. I think I'm losing everybody. Anyway, well, let's keep going. But we see that this, this call to community, in the very first church, when Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came, Peter preaches, and all of these people come to Christ. Here's what we read in Acts 2.41. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I have a question for you. To what number? Yeah. 
It was the 120 that were waiting and praying and calling and trusting God. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high. So they're gathering, they're praying, and they're waiting for God, 120 of them. Believers, apostles, and others. And so the Holy Spirit came. You know what happened that day? It was some wonderful manifestations of the Holy Spirit's presence. People looking at what's going on. Peter preaches to explain what's happening. They say, what do we do? He says, repent and believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you too will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they do so. 3,000, not everybody in the crowd, but 3,000. And they were added to their number. Now we got 3,120. To the universal church? Yes. But to the local church? Yes, in Jerusalem. And this is what happened with these now, these 3,120 people. Acts 2.42, we read about it here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And a sense of awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all the believers who were together and had everything in common a local, physical expression of the universal church. Let me ask you this. If you say, I don't need to be a part of the church, and you're in the hospital, then who comes to see you? Your invisible care party? An invisible pastor? If you're part of only the invisible church, that's what you want, universal... Who comes when you're having a difficult time? No, it's a local expression. Over 30 Bible commands you cannot obey unless you're a part of a local church. And Paul's letters were always directed to a visible, geographical, local church. Now, Jesus values the local church. You need to understand this. Local churches are Jesus' passion. And since his ascension into heaven, Jesus has been walking among his churches. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 tells us what he's doing. One of the things he's doing is he's reigning. And in his reign in the kingdom of God, what he does is he's evaluating and he's walking among the churches, if you will. He sees them. He's evaluating them. He's thinking about them. He's warning them. He's rebuking. He's correcting. He's, he's giving them commendation and affirming them. This is what Jesus does, and he loves the local church. So he loves it. That's what it is. Now, I was at a wedding yesterday, as I said, and a family who used to come here and move downtown, uh, relatives of John uh, Wells, got to do their, their wedding. And it was really amazing to see this young man. And for the last uh, many months or year, uh, I watched this young man, met him, and seeing him pursue his, his uh, fiancée, and, and he's just, you know, obviously cherishing her and loving her and pursuing her and to see him yesterday at the wedding was really quite something and he cherished his bride and he, he sought her he loved her he was humble and this passionate groom for his bride and Jesus says something he says to uh, he's speaking to husbands and he says in Ephesians 5 love your wives and here's what I want to focus on like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loves his church like a groom who pursues and is head over heels with his bride-to-be. 
And that's what Jesus just loves the church. He values it. Do you believe Jesus loves the church or just loves you? Jesus loves the church. Second thing that shows his value for it is he obviously he died for it. Jesus loves the church so much that he gave himself up for her. He died for her for a purpose, and that is to make her holy, to sanctify her. Four times in this passage, in Ephesians 5, he goes on to say this, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the uh, water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus loves his church so much, he's working to purify, to set apart, and to, to make uh, that bride, the, the church, about all of his purposes. In Acts chapter 20, verse 8, we read that Luke is recording, and uh, Paul is talking about be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He loves the local church. He's speaking to the, elder, the Ephesian elders of the church of Ephesus, and he says to the elders at that particular local church, shepherd the church because Jesus bought you with his own blood. And that's a great word for our elders, too. Shepherd this church because Jesus paid for this church with his blood. And this is love in the fullest sense where he gave himself for it. And then lastly, Jesus is building his church. He's building the church. He promised he would. And it's his desire to build it and grow it strong and warm and deep and wide and larger. He builds upon the work and the teaching of the apostles and prophets where Christ is the cornerstone and sets it all in its proper place and direction. Matthew 16, 18 says this. I tell you, you just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says back to him, and I tell you, you're a Peter. And on this rock that is on this proclamation that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's promised that his church will prevail against the forces of hell itself. It's the most important endeavor on the face of the planet, frankly. Nobody believes that, and no one scoffs at it. But you forget, there is an absolute real kingdom, and there is a real risen Christ sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and he's going to come back one day. His kingdom is breaking in now through every act of kindness and goodness, every soul that's transformed, every stand for justice and righteousness. His church, as it's moving, brings the kingdom. The kingdom is breaking in, and one day it will come in all of its fullness when Jesus returns. And it's the most important endeavor on the planet. You think making cash, building buildings, going after Bitcoin, you know, doing who knows what on this world is actually the most important thing? To our culture it is, but not to the Lord Jesus himself. So because as the church is being built on authentic disciples who are truly being formed in his image, the work of the church and its influence has the power to bring good to the world, to transform lives and families and society. Because the church carries within herself, that's within us together, 
The church carries the life-giving, life-transforming message and hope of Jesus Christ. And his transforming truth, released in sacrificial love. Do you know that churches that are alive in Christ and doing his bathing even have an economic impact on their cities? No joke, I was reading about this, and I, I, I said there's a website that talked about it, and I went to the website, and sure enough, there it is. I'll give it to you after, because I know you all start going there. <laughs> this organization actually measures the influence, not just of churches, but other types of things. So I'm not sure it's even Christian, but... And they have this thing called the Halo Project, and in their research, they found what's called the Halo Effect how the, the benefit of churches in their city in financial terms. And did you know that here in York Region, for every dollar that people give to the church and its ministry, the net income influence in York Region amounts to $3.39. And I've looked at all the churches in Richmond Hill, Aurora, Newmarket, Stouffville, Markham, and Vaughan. And together, we have an impact in York Region and our cities to the tune of $245 million in, you know, positively. You say, how do they get that? They have all kinds of things they research, just a few things. You think of the influence of seeing people's lives transformed. People, um, you know, marriages staying together because of the ministry of a church and other influences of life groups and friendships within the church and the economic impact that it has. All kinds of things that they talk about, um, how it actually lowers crime. We help shoulder the, the load of social work in the region by all of our churches doing things together that the, the, the region or the cities would have been putting money towards. You see, the church has influence, and we need to actually talk about this a little more, the halo effect. But the church, we are co-workers, 1 Corinthians 9, 3.9 says, co-workers in God's service, and each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation that has already been laid, which is Christ. So he laid the foundation. Paul began to build on it. Others have continued to do so. And even to this day, we, we stand on that foundation of Christ, the, the teaching and the, of the apostles, the work of the church since that time. And the work of Jesus' heart is to seek and to save those who are estranged from him and to lead them into a life of a full life process of transformation into his likeness and the involvement of his purposes. You see, when we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught, then the accompanying works that come with transformed lives and ministering mercy to caring for people all in our region through sacrificial love, this is what, how God's kingdom begins to break in. The church, we actually are co-laborers with him. So I just remind us on this 24th anniversary simply about our mission and our purpose. I just ask you, why do we exist? And as a church, we exist so we would be about guiding people to know and intentionally follow Christ. That's why we're here. Church researcher Wynne Arn surveyed a thousand churches 
about the main purpose and function of a church. When he looked at the answers, he did both pastor and, and congregations, a thousand of them. From the people's side, they said the purpose of the church, 89% of the people says to take care of their needs. 11% said to reach the world for Christ. When those pastors were asked in those same churches, 90% of the pastors said their purpose is to reach the world for Christ. And only 10% said to meet the needs of the people in the church. Can you see why there's, we can often be conflict? Jesus said to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. His last command to us. And sometimes if the church isn't careful, it becomes totally inward, and it's all about how people inside the aquarium or inside the pen, it's just all about meeting our needs, and we lose focus as to why we even started. And I'm thankful that there are leaders in the church who are working and thinking and praying that this church would not become one of them. There's a church in our region where it was very, very, it was just old. They had no money, they had no leadership, and they were going to close their doors. And I remember driving down King, King Road in, in King City at one time, and, you know, there's a, there's once it was a church, there's a finance one. Another one, it was a church, now it was selling leaf stuff. You know, all of these kinds of things. And those churches, when they started, were full of passion to try to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. And if we don't think it couldn't happen to us, we need to wake up. Because everything, the natural gravitational pull on a church is away from why it started, away from the things that Jesus has called itself to. And so I'm so, so thankful that uh, we are as a church working together and praying together to seek how we can continue the mission that Jesus has given us. So... Um, I just want to say, I want to heighten the importance of the church for us this morning. That yes, there is a universal church. We're a part of that. There's no question. We don't deny that. But actually, the New Testament doesn't know anything about that kind of church where we do, or, uh, faith where we don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus. That's just, I'd love to debate that further privately with anyone. But anyway, that's what Jesus' plan is. That's his call. And he's given us our marching orders. So I just have three questions I want you to consider this morning. This is not a group time. <laughs> I would just like you to pray over these as we head into our 24th year. Actually, I guess we're starting our 25th. So we also need a committee for 25 years next year, so let's be thinking about that. Um, here's some things to think through. If our mission is, if we're about guiding people to know and intentionally follow Jesus, how will I be more involved in guiding people to know Jesus this year? If you ask the Lord that serious question, if you begin to talk about it with some of your friends and in your life group, I just encourage you. I think that you will spur each other on and give each other wonderful ideas. You can begin to pray that God would make you more uh, engaged in his mission. The second half of that is actually making disciples, not just getting converts. We're about making disciples and blessing them and growing them up. So here's your second question. Personally, am I becoming more intentional about following Jesus? I 
I remember reading this one time that the average Christian at about 40, 42 years old stops really pursuing God and growing. They just rest on what they've known from their childhood. Church, I, wanna, I, I want to my dying days to be like my father and other people. To be like Sundar and others when I go meet with him and we talk and he pulls out a notebook because he wants to learn something that I might have said. I want to be growing right to the end. And lastly, will I make my church a higher priority this year? With my time? You know, the one thing that happened through COVID, I'm just going to say this. God bless it. We had amazing people and some great stuff to be able to at least connect and hear and see each other, you know, and all of that during COVID. Friends, uh, reports are coming out now about the church, about those churches who, have been, who are staying like that and using it as excuses. To, the church was never meant to not gather. It's wonderful if we're shut in. It's wonderful if we miss all of that kind of stuff. But the church is more than a sermon. The church is the body. There's something that happens palpably in this place. Did you sense it during the worship time today? I mean, the manifest presence of God in my spirit was just like bursting. And that doesn't happen when, because when the worship time comes on at home, you go, oh, I'll make a coffee before the message comes out. The church is a church is meant to gather together. And friends, I'm calling us. Will you prioritize your time again? If we need to do two of these or make one different, we'll make, we'll do two, we'll do what we need to do. We'll add more chairs, we'll do what we need to do. Will you make a higher priority the use of your talents? You've got spiritual gifts and natural talents that God's blessed you with, and the church needs it. We come week by week, for example, and there's some great people up here that play. Do you know they do that every week? If you ask them, they said, man, we'd love to have a week off. But we assume that there's no space for us. We assume in all kinds of ministries around the church there's no room. But my, my friends, we need to multiply ourselves that way so people can serve without burning out in a sustainable way. And lastly, well, not lastly, will you make a higher priority to prioritize your treasure? And unfortunately in our culture, there's this ratio between money and ministry. You can spiritualize it all you want, but there are things that happen when you pour resources into it that get stuff done for the kingdom of God. And lastly, your testimony. Will you higher prioritize your testimony in sharing your story with people? I just got to say, I was, uh, I, I was uh, in a golf cart recently with a, a guy, very colorful guy. Let me just put it that way. And as we began to talk, there are two people from our church that had influence on him. Michael Brooks, who just left, worked with him very, very closely at Magna. And the other was Dwayne, Mr. Golfer. I think he works. I don't know, but he golfs. <laughs> but those two guys have influenced that guy. And I, I was in a golf cart with him, and then we could talk. 
Because why? The faithful testimony of two men in our church with a guy. We all need to be faithful in our testimony. You never know how God will make connections, right? So church, this is worth your prayerful consideration, these questions this morning. I pray that we really lean in. Because when it comes time for number 25, man, I want to party. But more than that, I want to see this church thrive in the real, dynamic, authentic, substantial work of Jesus in us and in this region. So, but we can't do that alone. We need all of us. Amen?